Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation, Gorgeous George and Goes? Chilling with you here for the next hour on a Monday. It's August 21st, so it's a Monday morning uh, broadcast for your Monday morning delivery. We're going to talk about UFC 292, RV, like the kids say. Lots to unpack here. It was a great card. It was a lot of fun. Historical, obviously, because we have a, a new title. Uh, I'm sorry, a new champion. Sean O'Malley defeated Aldrain Sterling in the main event. We'll talk about that. Remember, it's my favorite division to talk about. So there's lots to unpack. And of course, Zhang Wei Li, she also did her thing. She's still a title holder. She defeated Amanda Limos in the co-main event. That, in addition to all the news, everything that's going on, it's going to be fun. We'll be back to start the show. Goes in a way, in a way, I'm glad that on spinning backlink, we didn't talk about this as much. So it's not repeat for a lot of you that kind of watch both shows or listen to both shows. And here's what I want to say about it. What was Aljo thinking kickboxing for 99% of that fight? Like, he's not a bad kickboxer, but he's an excellent wrestler. And Mm -hmm. Sean O'Malley's a really good kickboxer. All right. And he's been terrible at defending takedowns and getting up from takedowns. Like, what a way to go out, man. I think uh, the worst thing you can do is give Sean O'Malley space. And that's, you know, we were even talking about it on our watch along. Shout out to Robert Drysdale, who also joined us. This was a pivotal moment for Sean O'Malley. And he kind of reconfirmed something we were talking about. And that's just how nervous he was, right? Before the fight. I and love so, that honesty from him, by the way. Yeah, both guys. Yeah, both guys were, were really incredibly honest. I, I don't know that Aljamain Sterling, maybe because of the way the media, the fans have reacted kind of his to, to his career. I don't know that he understands that the guy on the other side of him is probably pretty scared. You know, Aljamain has this way of making fighters look really, really bad at certain times. I thought he should have just pushed the pace and gotten in Sean O'Malley's face right off the bat. Cause that's where Sean O'Malley tends to thrive is when he has space to land those types of shots. If you don't give that to him, it's going to be tough. And so it was just like Aljo was hesitating, hesitating, hesitating. And as he did that, I think he built up Sean's confidence. I think Sean got a drift of his, his uh, timing a little bit. And I think when Aljamain Sterling goes back and watches that fight, he's going to be really pissed off, man, because a win there, who knows what we'd be talking about, right? And then if he decides to stay in the division, what he could have kept on doing, it sucks, man. I, I, I'm i very proud of him in the sense of the things he said afterwards, the honesty, the candor. But uh, I think he's going to be really upset when he goes back and watches this fight. Hell yeah, he is. And by the way, another thing we didn't cover on Spinning Backlick, excellent show, by the way. Check it out, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. It's already up, so you can check it out. If you miss it, we'll be going live every Monday, 11 Eastern, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. And uh, that's during Dana White Contender Series. Usually it's noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. All right. The stoppage. I thought it was too soon. Here's why. Obviously, he got rocked. You could see that the minute he missed and he saw that big right hand coming, even Aljo was like, he had this look like, oh, here it comes. He was almost wincing, closing his eyes. Boom. And then when he hit him, Aljo almost went like head first into the octagon. But that said, when he did, he was awake and aware. Now, was he 100%? Fuck no. He was rocked, right? He was, I mean, concussed probably. Who knows? But that's not when we stop fights. Now, if Mark Goddard wanted to, if Sean O'Malley would have walked away, 
I don't think Aljo would have been able to stand up because he had just been rocked. So let's say he stops it and Aljo tries to stand up and then he's kind of moving around and Mark Goddard has to catch him and we'd all go, oh, yeah, he was rocked. But that's not what happened. So he turns around, he's on his back, and Sean O'Malley is socking him up. Some are landing, some aren't. Some are landing really flush, and it looks like they're almost putting him out yet again. But Mark Goddard is not stopping it. Mm -hmm. And what I will say is this. If I'm a referee, at least according to what I've learned over the years, I'm looking for, are you with me? You know, are you aware, right? He did have his hands up as if to say, oh, man, I got to block anything that's coming, the ground and pound. He had his legs up as well, almost like he wants to maybe – catch one of your legs and tie you up like grapplers like to do as O'Malley was spinning around and stealing on him he was also turning around with him he was a little half a second behind you know but still he was doing it and then all of a sudden he goes to turn right and yeah the turtle position is not good but at the same time that's also one one way to get up is to kind of you know, you turn over, you're covered up, and then a split second later, you might just pop up. But as soon as he does that, Mark Goddard says, enough, I've seen enough, and that's it. And O'Malley hadn't really punished him in that position. And immediately, it looked like that's that split second where Aljo kind of wanted to get up, and he's he's aware. He's telling Mark Goddard, like, what are you doing? Now, that said, he didn't seem to push back in the post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, in the post-fight interview with the media. He didn't seem to push back on it. He was very accepting of, acceptant of his loss, took it like a champ. And um, so I guess it's not really going to be that big of a deal. But maybe it's me because I lost money on Sterling. But I've seen enough fights around enough people that I respect. I think you and, and Robert had similar feelings. And then I heard Rogan in D.C. also saying the same thing. I didn't like it, man. And in the title fight, I don't care what anyone says. Yes, Safeties of the Paramount from the first fight of the night to the last fight of the night. From LFA to UFC to Invicta to whatever, right? It's always mm -hmm. Paramount. I get it. But, no, there are levels to that, too. And I'll give you an example. At Tough Enough, the minute you see blood, it's over. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. the, the, you have to get – you have to kind of let the, – these are – High stakes fights, you have to let them play out, even if it's just an extra punch or not. I don't want to hear, well, what if the punch is the one that does whatever? Trust me, that's what the fighters want as well. A fighter has never publicly said, hey, I thought he stopped it too late. The, mm -hmm. At least the one that was involved in the fight. Obviously, the other fighters that are watching have said that, but well, yeah. You and I agree with that, but I don't know that the ref can have that mentality because his job is to protect the fighter, right? There's an unwritten code, I think, that kind of deep down inside you have. What I think happened was I think he missed his opportunity to stop the fight earlier. There was mm -hmm. a time where he probably could have stepped in and we would have all said, oh, okay. But because he let it go a little bit more and Aljo seemed to kind of recover, I think maybe it was a little bit of a makeup call. But at the same time, I didn't have a problem with it because it was a lot of unanswered shots. And, I mean, he w it was defending but it, it's not like uh i mean you're not gonna be able to see me do this on the camera but he wasn't doing this you know like he was just kind of flailing like just hoping uh he can avoid some of the shots and when the fight was stopped he said the right stuff but his body didn't really react like he was you know he didn't stand up right away and go what the hell and chase the ref down like he was still kind of on the floor i think he knew he was fucked up but uh i think it's just the the way it all came out the way it looked maybe but yeah. I was okay with it. It wasn't the worst one ever. But I'm always that guy that says, especially in a title fight, and I don't like people, people don't like to hear that. I think you do maybe give it a little bit of a leash. Uh, but here I was I was all right with it. You want to let the players, or in this case the fighters, decide it, and you just don't seem to get those calls at the end of NBA games, at the end of NFL games, at the end of soccer games, you know. Um Baseball's a little bit more cut and dry, but you know, I could see a pitcher going more than 10 seconds on the mound and them not and and the home plate umpire not scolding him. 
Mm-hmm. Although they have this new shot clock over there in baseball, I've yet to figure out what's going on with that. But still, um, I don't know. Like, like I say, they say, tell me something, show me something. And I thought Aljo was doing that. And why all of a sudden? Because he flipped. I mean, I've seen a lot of fighters flip in turtle position and people are on top pounding them. They're covering up their ears and they take another beating, you know, and it's not over. So I don't understand why it happened here. Like, I, I don't know. Confused, but guess what? I'm over it. I just wanted to say it, share it with our audience, and that's that. Uh, we move on. You know, everyone seems to be turning the page. Congrats to Sean O'Malley. Beautiful counter, right, straight punch, right on the on on the the jaw, right on the cheek area. A uh, lot of power that kid has. Said the right things, you know, on the mic. I want Cheeto Vera in December. So what's he saying with that? Hey, UFC, I know you're not going to have McGregor versus Chandler in December. And all the other champions have either fought or will be fighting anytime soon. I guess Leon Edwards hasn't announced what, what, what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. But I'm available. And he does it while two guys in the audience are nursing injuries that are higher above Cheeto Vera. In Murad Duvalishvili and Corey Sanhagen. Both were seen, obviously, still, I mean, especially Sanhagen with bandages. Around uh, he had a tricep injury, I believe. So that's a perfect time for him to slip in and get this thing done. He wants to right the wrong. He says he never lost the fight, but he did to Marlon Vera. Marlon Vera looked good, didn't get the finish, but looked good. Man, impressive jab. But we'll get to him in a second. So um, I don't know, because how do you think this plays out? Because he did share in his post fight, he didn't grapple for six weeks. He had like a rib or cartilage injury. He was even so scared that if Aljo took took him down he wouldn't even be able to survive it of course that never happened mm-hmm. um but do you think this guy can get healthy and get the cheeto verified done uh in december where he loves the fight remember he loves the the short trips and the mm-hmm. um the tax situation here normally i'm not a fan of when people are on the fence or don't have an answer but this particular situation has so many pieces to this puzzle that um this can go several different ways, right? Like when you look at at what's going on right now in that division, you do have two major injuries, right, to two guys that would definitely be in the talks. Uh, you have a situation with Aljamain Sterling where him and Mrab Devalishvili have sort of had this understanding for a, a long time, and that's that it's kind of Aljo's time. And when it's not Aljo's time, then it'll be Mrab's time, right? And Aljo will move up. This night changed all of that. And so now those two have to figure out what's going to happen. You know, do you, does Aljamain Sterling uh, continue to be at 135 or does he move up to 145? I think moving up to 145 and fighting for a belt, that's completely out of the question, right? But doesn't mean he can't go up to 145 and face uh, a, a good contender or something like that. That could possibly be on the table. But at that point, then you have to hand the reins over to Mrav Davalashvili. You can't just come back and say, now I want it to be my time again, right? Mm-hmm. So there's so many different things going on. So all you can assess is what, what happened in front of our eyes. And what happened in front of our eyes was Marlon Vera did exactly what you needed to do to have your name thrown in the hat. He's not. If you look at statistics, he should be behind Davalashvili. But the performance that he had was so amazing you know it sucks he didn't get the finish but he did just about everything else you you would have to do if you didn't get the finish i think it's kind of tailor-made and set up for that fight to take place and if you're the ufc and you look at it from a business standpoint as well i think you're gonna say we don't want to take a chance in this fight not coming to fruition right if you give marlon vera another fighter it's not i'm not saying marlon vera is not a good fighter doesn't deserve to be here i'm just saying there's killers in that division anybody can beat anyone you could potentially lose out on one of those fights. So I think of the UFC, if I'm the UFC, I think that's the fight I look at. It's the fight I book. And um, I really, as a fan, as somebody that covers the sport, I wouldn't hate them too much. I'm not going to throw rankings in their face or any of that stuff. I think it just kind of makes sense right now. Seems like a layup, right, for them? A little bit, yeah. It just, I guess a lot has to do with can he be healthy in time to do it? Because they can do Leon 
<laughs> Fucking Colby's got me saying Leon Scott lately. They can do Leon Edwards versus um, Colby Covington. Uh, you know, over the weekend, Colby was saying, well, I wanted to fight no- uh, November in Madison Square Garden, but John Jones doesn't want me on his cards is what he put out there. They used to be friends, teammates, roommates in college. And you know how Colby's become a heel lately and a tell-all. And I think Jones is probably playing the right card here, you know, flexing a little bit of his power by saying, I don't want this guy on there because obviously Colby will be asked about it. And I'm sure he knows a lot of it. He's probably got some dirt on the guy. Who knows? Um, Here's another thing that I thought about that we haven't discussed yet. So this is fresh. Do you know how I'm always scolding fighters and saying, do you say what you want, write your own script, don't let the UFC dictate your terms? Well, guess what? That's kind of what Sean O'Malley did. A lot of times he was like, nope, I'm only fighting in Vegas. You know, give me this guy. He got a lot of matchups that were, I wouldn't say convenient or favorable. They're just solid matchups for his skill set, which we all know. Mm-hmm. wrestlers are probably his kryptonite and he seemed to avoid them all until he got to the title fight and then it didn't matter but you know he kind of did hit a, a little bit of a cruise control and then all of a sudden he got two champs or former champs peter yawn and Aldrin sterling so when it mattered he rose to the occasion very similar to conor mcgregor chad mendez and jose aldo back to back now mendez was a the wrestler in this case yeah. and aldo was the champ but he got the job done you can't take that away and guess who else is kind of writing the script? Ian Machado Gary. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to fight four times. I'm not worried about it. And give me this guy. He's trying to go for another striker and Steven Thompson, who's also much older. He's 40 years old. The, the funny thing is fans are, some fans are kind of hating on, look at this guy, you know, who does he think he is? He's avoiding this person. He's avoiding that person. I've, I've heard it all along. Boy, man, just like life itself, you just can't make anyone happy. You no. know what I mean? Because this is these are fighters, McGregor, O'Malley, Thompson, that have actually gotten the best of the UFC, or as, as good as you can get off of them. And yet, there's going to be a lot of people that that hate them. Now, they have tremendous fan bases too. Don't get me wrong; they definitely have more love than haters. Well, you know, you make good points about Sean O'Malley and the direction. The UFC did did do him a lot of favors, but in those favors, wasn't he still the underdog going in? Didn't we uh-huh. all still feel like he was going to get his ass kicked? And it just didn't happen. It was on him, right? The the Yon fight, look, night of, there were four of us in the room. One was, a uh, actually, there might have been five of us, a, a fighter, a coach, our buddy John Orlando. I thought we all just said, hey, Peter Yon won this fight. The guy who actually bet Sean O'Malley, who was John Orlando, even he said, unless there's some kind of tomfoolery here, uh, my goose is cooked. They read the decision, and it went Sean O'Malley's way. We were all disgusted. I went back, and I rewatched it, and it was a little bit of a closer fight than I thought. But I still thought he he lost the fight. Um, It was a little bit closer, though. But that being said, like for as many favors as the UFC's done for him, he still had to put in the work and he still had to win the fight. Right. It's not kind of like for me, Chad Mendes on a full camp would have probably annihilated Conor McGregor at that time. It looked like he was on his way. I think he had won the first two rounds, right? Yeah. Uh, He just ran out of gas and that's kind of what happens when you have two weeks notice, right? You just run out of gas for Sean O'Malley. They've done him favors, but he still had to go in with a full camp and win a fight. And he did do that. So it's kind of hard to argue this guy's brilliance at this point. I don't want to take anything away from Connor in the sense that I've seen a lot of documentaries and stuff, and it does look like he'll just take on whoever. Um, but it almost looked like the UFC and Connor were trying to pick off Nate Diaz on 10 day notice, you know, and it backfired yeah. on them on that one. So the sport is so unique that you can almost make a conspiracy about any theory and you it's not hard to back up you know whether people believe it or not who knows who knows what all the truths are i'd love to have the texts 
and emails of what really is said, you know, or just be a fly on the wall. But a lot of these guys still show up and fight, and that's what ultimately decides, you know, what's what. In this case, we give the flowers to Sean O'Malley. It was a beautiful game plan. He used lateral movement to make it tough for Sterling to actually get a beat on when he wanted to, you know, possibly shoot or tie up with this guy. Mm-hmm. And um, then when O'Malley saw his opportunity, he touched the chin and then he went for the finish. And that was very, very impressive. He even said the right things before and afterwards. He kept saying, that guy's the goat. That guy's a beast. I was scared, but I went in there and I knocked him out. And uh, He's a very, very popular fighter who's on his way to superstardom. And I just love how he maneuvered the Cheeto Vera fight because there's two fighters definitely more qualified right now to fight for the title, but they're nicked up. And the way to get around them, if this is the game he's playing, who knows, is, all right, I'll be ready by December. You know, but That's what makes it so interesting is like, okay, even if we're going to pull that card and we're going to say he's looking maybe for the easy way out, he's still fighting the guy that beat him. You know what I mean? I, I kind of yeah. like that. I kind of like that he wants to to write that ship. Um, so really, there's, there's no way around it. Like, you can't fuck around at Bantamweight. There are no jokes. There are no no plays. Every person they throw in front of you is a fucking killer in some aspect. So I said this on spinning back click, and, and I do feel like the next year and a half, we're really going to appreciate what Aljamain Sterling actually did. And that stay on top for that long because I don't know that Sean O'Malley or anyone else can keep that belt for very long. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of wrestlers too. There's Marab, there's Ricky Simone, mm-hmm. there's Umar Nomargamadov. I mean, the other two are more strike oriented. But hell, you look at the takedowns that Corey Sanding and got yeah. the other day, like his wrestling's improved. So, yeah, if he can get three title defenses, it would definitely be very impressive. As far as goats of Mana White, I think I still have Cruz number one, Aljo number two, and, uh, oh, Henry Cejudo can wrestle. Holy cow, Mm -hmm. what a deep division. Anyway, we better move on before my head explodes. Jean Lee defeated Amanda Lemos in the co-main event. They went five rounds. It looked like she was on the cusp of a finish pretty much almost in every round. That said, Amanda Lemos... Had a couple of nice tight grips on some chokes that she was trying to put on John Willie. John Willie fought out of him. She also landed some really nice overhand rights, straight rights on her. And uh, she definitely just didn't hold up her tent, you know, pack it up. She was there, man, for all 25 minutes. So shout out to both ladies. John Willie, I'm sorry. Yeah. John Willie now has two awesome options Jan Jonan. Her fellow countrywoman, or Tatiana Suarez, the un- the undefeated strawweight, who has been back recently after an almost four year hiatus. Um, we covered this kind of on spinning back click. I, of course, I, I think I want to see the Suarez fight next, but I would understand that the UFC, with China being such a big potential market. And a chance to have these two in there, how it might be tough for them to not go for that, go for that fight. You know, I just don't really understand the allure behind it. I, I would rather have the entire fan base cheer for one fighter versus, I mean, come on, like China probably doesn't like America, right? You have an American fighter coming out there with an American flag. They're going to go absolutely berserk, and they're going to cheer for their fighter. I don't know that it's uh, as cool, maybe, to have two Chinese fighters fight each other. Now, if they have beef, the way Mike Bond was alluding to in, on uh, spinning back click in regards to Panda just feeling like maybe they don't back her as much, that does make it a little bit more interesting, but that makes it a little more interesting in China. The other way around kind of makes it interesting all the way around the world. So I would uh, I'd kind of keep that theme. And plus, you don't have to go very far to, to find a loss on Panda's record. Uh, for Tatiana Suarez, it's never happened. 
right? So that to me, I just feel like is is the one that should be leading right now. If they do go with Jan Jonan, let's not forget. I've said this a few times. If Alexa Grasso can get past Valentina, she's done with Valentina forever. She'll be two and zero against mm-hmm. Valentina, but she's zero and one against Tatiana. I wonder if Tatiana says, "All right." You fight Panda. Guess what? I'm going to take Grasso. And she'll find out here in less than a month because Grasso fights Valentina Shevchenko at the UFC fight card coming up here, whatever it's called, Buena Noche or something like that, um, on September 16th. But I, I think Tatiana, that would be an interesting play for her. Go up, win it, and then say, deuces, and now I'm going to go to Strawweight and try and scoop another one up here. That's kind of the leverage I would try to use if I'm Tatiana and they overlook me. They they bypass me. We um we brought up China earlier, and I think when you asked Tatiana Suarez about 125, I think she thought you were talking in Chinese because she just didn't seem to be having any of it going up to 125. And it's hard to argue her, you know. I, I to me, she just seems uh not in a bad way, but like a, a big girl. So to me, it seems like one. 115 is hard but she doesn't seem to really have too much of a problem with it and so if that's the case then yeah bigger frame smaller weight class that's always what you want to aim for but uh if you're the ufc i think you got to make sure she doesn't bite because if for some reason she does lose boy do you lose out on a big opportunity i think yeah i remember i I think it was during march madness and we were at the virgin um hotel it's called mm-hmm. and i saw her we saw her and patrick patrick mix but you when i told her i go you stay in a flyweight she kind of went like for what like are you crazy or are you dumb and then it took all of my willpower to not go are you dumb i mean like <laughs> but i did say you you beat the you beat the champ at flyweight you know and she kind of gave me a half oh yeah you know but um I just didn't see how it was that unusual of a question because, yeah, yeah, of course I knew she was a straw weight and undefeated and ranked and all that. Of course I knew that. But with her saying she wanted to come back at flyweight and she won at flyweight, the simple question was, do you want to stay at flyweight being that this just went down? Let's not forget, Alexa just beat Valentina in March. It wasn't like two years ago. You right. know what I mean? But anyway, she's a nice gal. We did another interview since then and uh everything's good you know and her boyfriend patchy mix he's he's doing his thing as well patchy mix by the way versus sean o'malley would be fun too too bad it's not the ufc buying belt or or absorbing belt or who would you favor i think i would actually favor patchy mix george well, there comes a point where you're like, you know, when you go against someone, which I think I have against O'Malley probably the last three fights, maybe two fights, and then you go, I just can't go against this guy. This guy keeps getting better, finding ways. Um, I might take O'Malley just because of that. Now, I tend to favor the extreme couture fighters, so I could flip-flop. Who knows? I, and I do like grapplers that are committed. And look, Patchy won the title by throwing a knee. He didn't even need the grappling. So he's definitely diversifying and getting, and getting better. But so is O'Malley. O'Malley did fight down, fight off one takedown attempt against Sterling. I thought Sterling should have done more. In fact, I've been dying for someone to challenge me and go, you've never been in there, motherfucker. How do you know how easy it is? Luckily, this one fight happened, goes. And this one fighter in his career has been very committed to the ground game. Chael P. Sonnen. Remember when he fought Anderson Silva? He took him down and beat him up. 10-9 Sonnen. Can he do it again in round two? Yes, and he would do it again. And in round three? Yes, and to his fault, he even did it in round five, only he got caught in a triangle. But there are a lot of guys where their mentality is, why am I going to fuck with this guy? Which is what Chell should be saying. Why should I fuck with this guy? The great Anderson Silva in stand-up, when I have a strength, I'm just going to go to it until he has an answer for it, which Anderson Silva wound up having. But Mm -hmm. that's why with Sterling going... I think it was the whole first round, and I don't know how far the fight went in the second round. I got it right here. I'll tell you right now. Uh, oh, shit. That was only 51 seconds. Oh, no, 51 seconds into it. Um, I don't get – so, yeah, six minutes. 
why there was only one half-hearted takedown attempt. He's usually very committed to it. He takes you down, and guess what? Aside from taking you down and draining your gas tank, he fucks with your mind, he manhandles you, and sometimes even 10-8s your ass. Yeah. It's baffling, dude. I mean, to me, I feel like the moment got to him just as much as it did Sean O'Malley. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps you're right. How about Ian Machado Gary? He defeated Neil Magny in the featured bout at UFC 292, 30-26, 30-24. I mean, look, he did basically wallop him, man. He was kicking his legs. He was kicking them everywhere. He was punching them. I, I'm just shocked because I've seen Neil Magny lose before. He's won a lot. But he, he's definitely got his fair share of losses. But no one's manhandled him like this guy. This guy did make a believer out of me because he kept saying, me and Shavkat and Boars, you know, that's Hamza Shemayev and someone else. We're the future, man. What's up? Come get some. And I'm thinking, chill out, brother. You still got Camaro and Gilbert. You know, like, you mm-hmm. really haven't beaten anyone of that level. And Neil Magny's not their level, but you got to get through Neil, Neil Magny. And usually... Some open the door, kick it down, you know, and, and, and go through it. Others are like, nope, they get checked. But I mean, this guy blew off the door and just, you know, made himself dinner, walked out with his TV, his watch. Area. I mean, he ransacked the place. He was, it was like he had a cheat code or something in a video game. I, I've never seen, yeah, like you said, like we look at Neil Magny's record. It's gonna be some. It's gonna be red in different places, but I don't know that we've ever seen anybody do this type of performance on him. Like this was a freaking beatdown. The only problem I had with Ian Gary Machado, or sorry Machado Gary, was um, I didn't. Re- I wasn't a too big of a fan of of the flipping him off, all that shit at the end. Like, look, bro, you just fucking fought the dude. If you can't solve whatever it is you have with him after a fist fight. Come on, like, what do you? You're not gonna kill him, right? Like, that's the next step. It's done. Just fucking shake the dude's hand. He's a veteran of the sport. He's been around a long time. Show some respect and go back and be you later. But he's a little bit too much, I think. And I, I really, everybody gets humbled in our sport, man. Everybody, even the great GSP has losses on his record, right? Like, uh, it's gonna happen, and people are gonna jump down your throat the second it happens. So. I wish he'd be a little bit more humble in that in that regard. Like if you look at another guy in his situation, Bo Nickel, Bo keeps it real. You know, he's very, very confident and he will tell you that. But at the same time, he kind of keeps things a little bit more on a level perspective. And I wish uh Ian Gary would do that a little bit more. But the actual in cage performance was absolutely amazing. And I can't wait to see who he fights next. Yeah. I thought it was a shtick. I thought it was just an angle that he was going to needle them and mess with them. And then fight night say, hey, look, we just say things to build up the fight. No, he kept going and going. And I don't even know if he'll drop it if they're on the same card next time, you know. But yeah. um, accusing him basically of child abuse. When I think, like Mike Bond said on today's Spinning Back Click, it sounded more like he was just using a metaphor. I And I still have yet to hear it. I was looking for it yesterday. But there were so many things. I wanted to hear Chandler. I wanted to hear Dana White. I wanted to hear Aljo and O'Malley. And I just started to fall asleep when I was looking for that one part. But I imagine it's something like, man, I'm going to beat him like a redheaded stepchild or whatever, you know. And for some reason, that set that other guy off. Um, anyway. I think he for an opportunity to pounce. And, and he did. I think he's very smart in that aspect. But look, come on. We've known Neil Magny a long time. A lot of us in this industry have been interviewing Neil Magny for a very long time. That's not him. That's not the type of guy he is. So just, you know, everybody has their little credit report, their little resume. And I I don't believe that for a second. Neither do I. And by the way, here are some some of Neil Magny's wins. I just had to look for myself. Tim Means, Alex Garcia, Eric Silva, Calvin Gaslam. Hector Lombard, Johnny Hendricks, Carlos Condit, Lee Jing Liang, Anthony Rocco Martin, Robbie Lawler, Jeff Neal, Max Griffin, D-Rod, Philip Rowe. I mean, hey, 
you know, Magny's tough. And this is even more credit being given to Ian Gary. He just sliced through him like a knife through hot butter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And none of these other guys that have been able to beat him have really kind of done that. I guess I should go through some of his losses, too. He lost to Gilbert Burns. He got submitted by him. Shavkat submitted by him. Shavkat kind of got through him pretty quick. Burns did it in round one. He lost to Chiesa. That went five rounds, and it was a decision. Ponzinibbio knocked him out. RDA submitted him. Lorenz Larkin finished him with the stand-up. Damian Maya submitted him. So, but look, those are big, big names. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right, continuing on here, UFC 292 on Saturday. Staying or finishing out the main card, Mario Batista defeated Damone Blackshear. Marlon Vera defeated Pedro Munoz. Because Batista, I hadn't really seen him too much. I was very much looking forward to him and Garbrandt. Garbrandt fell off. Blackshear steps in on Sunday notice. Boy, does this guy have cardio, and he's, he has the ability to transition from stand-up, stand-up fighting against the fence, like clinch work, on the ground, scrambles. Batista's a problem, dude. He is tough. And respect the Blackshear. I kind of saw it coming. He was hanging in there for a while. He it was times during the fight where he was winning, but you could tell, I think it was later in the second round where he was like, okay, my body ain't got much to give. I just did this. I just did a weight cut on Friday, a fight mm-hmm. on Saturday, and then the following, and then I had to travel across the country to do another weight cut and another fight. That's really asking a lot out of your body. Yeah. The, what stood out for me for Mario Batista is just his, his fight IQ. I thought it was just really, really smart in certain situations, a couple of reversals that he had. Um, early on, I think he was trying to figure figure out the puzzle a little bit, and he did. And then when you add in all the other little intangibles there, you have a making of makings of a really good fighter. And who knows what he's going to look like from fight to fight. I think he's still improving. I think uh, there's a couple guys, like you brought up another guy uh, on Spinning Backlick today that was on the tip of my tongue as well, Grant Dawson. That it, they're just certain guys that um, are really good at what they do, and they don't deviate from that plan very much. And for me, Mario Batista is somewhat one of those guys, but he can adapt to whatever you're bringing as well. And I, I hope uh, I hope the UFC can get behind him because I, I think that's a really good fighter. Yeah. And what do you think about Marlon Vera against Pedro Munoz? I know Ooh. we love our finishes, right? And Vera had a chance to do the finish. Maybe talk some smack to Aljo or, or Sean or just whatever. Steady goes to a decision, but, man, I mean, he actually looked pretty slick in his stand-up, showing off one of the best jabs ever. And, of course, later that night, O'Malley does win and kind of calls out uh, mm-hmm. Marlon Vera. He might actually get a lotto ticket in December. I think it's one of those situations where a decision may have actually played better in your favor than a knockout. I think if he would have knocked him out in round one, we would have all said, oh, wow, okay. You know, that, that's an aging uh, Pedro Munoz. Marlon Vera looks pretty good, you know, and I think we, we would have maybe moved on. But the fact that he pummeled him over three rounds and the way he did it and all the different tools that he's showing you that he has, the confidence, the timing, I think that those three rounds were actually pretty important in – selling that case where we all go well this wasn't just like a lucky punch or something this dude actually dominated another fighter over three rounds and he has a win over the current champion we gotta see that again i think that actually worked in his favor i'll say this too if cody garbrandt had fought and not been the best cody garbrandt that we've seen or you know right up there like in his championship years i think batista takes him Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if he does come in in championship form, then he probably takes Batista. But anywhere near there, you know, 75, 80% of what he used to be, that would have been a tough fight, man, for, for him that night. I'm really, really high on Batista. But, you know, I don't want to go overboard here. Again, it's just more of a first impression of just seeing him through the process of his camp, talking to him his 
pre-fight stuff, you know, media that he did, and then the fight itself, it's, it was very, very impressive. Poor guy only got four minutes with the media in the back. They weren't too really interested in talking to him as much. Um, we had a great conversation. I think it was like 20 minutes. We talked about a lot of stuff, his last job, uh, working for Safe Light Windshields. Um, him coming up through the sport with O'Malley. What what a great night for that gym too. He, he won and so did yeah. O'Malley. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Brad Tavares over Chris Weidman. We got to spend a little time on that. Chris or uh, Brad Tavares, local here at Extreme Couture, got the decision over Chris Weidman. I mean, ravaged his legs. I think Chris Weidman's probably got more serious injuries. His knee really looked like it was pretty messed up. But when he would explode and throw, he had Brad in some danger. Yeah, he had his moments in the fight. So it's kind of odd because I think we're all going to ask, like, should this be it for Chris Weidman? And the way this fight played out, I'm going to say yes because of one thing. I do feel like he was hesitant a little bit. He threw that kick. He did do it. But I think he thought about it a lot. I think it was in – I think – I think the moment got to him a little bit more because he did have moments of success in that fight. He didn't look, he looked like his former self at some point, but uh, at different points in the fight. But I think Brad just capitalized on uh, being the better fighter that night, but also going after what seems like is, is maybe a weakness for Chris Weidman right now. And it's not, I don't know that it's a weakness uh, physically. I think it's a mental weakness that he has. And I don't blame him. You know, that was a horrible injury that he sustained and he came back. And this is the first time that he gets to test it out. I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you're in the gym. It's just not the same, man. It really isn't. Uh, You're going back to the scene of the crime, right? With with fans, uh, the whole, uh, I'm sure all that shit plays out in your head. And I don't know that Chris Weidman was able to get over it. And, And I don't know that he will. So I do, I do feel like maybe for Chris Weidman, it might be time to go. And as far as Brad Tavares's uh, performance, I thought it was a really good one. I thought it was a very smart one. I was just a little bummed out that they didn't give him the mic at the end because of what's going on in Hawaii. I think he could have really had some encouraging things to say, and I thought he deserved it, but unfortunately, that didn't happen. His wife's family's from that island. The dad's mm-hmm. running one of the shelters in Maui. So even though they're okay, they're close to this tragedy that's happened there, and they're actually part of the rebuild. So, yeah, I also feel like Brad should have got some mic time. It would have been nice. But kudos to the UFC for donating a million dollars towards that cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you follow the news, there's the body count still keeps getting higher and higher, and I think it'll be even higher when it's all said and done because a lot of people went in what's got to be one of the most horrible ways to go, and that's burned to death. Others drowned. I mean, that's up there, man, as far as how, you know, a horrible way to go. But burnings, I don't know that that one can be top. I mean, some of them aren't even recognizable, they're saying. So it's yeah. like, if they never come home, you kind of have your answer, but you can't even confirm it. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. not going to be a body or DNA to identify remains. It's kind of chilling, to tell you the truth. Totally. All right. Uh, Kurt Hollabaugh defeated Austin Hubbard. He's now the tough champion for the lightweight division for season 31. Came out of Team Chandler. Hubbard, also from Team Chandler. Submitted him in round two. First round didn't go his way, but he did come out shining there in round two with the finish. Brad Katona defeated Cody Gibson. They went all three rounds, 29-28 two times, 30-27 on the other judges' card. I agreed with 29-28, sorry. Uh, I was hoping Gibson would win, but Katona did, so shout out to him. I don't know if he's Team McGregor now or he started off Team Chandler. Who knows, but... Um, he always trained with SBC, so that's why you saw John Kavanaugh there in his corner. Gregory Rodriguez, Robocop, defeated Dennis Tulalin. Vicious KO stoppage there with uh, elbows being thrown. Andre Petrovsky defeated Gerald mm-hmm. Mearshart. Natalia Silva defeated Angela Lee. Kareen Silva defeated Marina Moros. 
fighters received 50 bonuses for fight of the night, Brad Katona and Cody Gibson. Performance of the night, Sean O'Malley and Sean Whaley. Ghost, any thoughts on those fights on the prelims? The last ones I mentioned. I was going to say the uh, Robocop, the elbow was kind mm-hmm. of, that's something we're going to have to go back and look at now. Correct. Back yes. to the back of the head. Yes. And we the replay was showing that it was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I thought they were would overturn it and say that was an illegal strike and he might take an L. He really caught a break there. Yeah, it was as back of the head as it can like directly right in the middle of the back of the head. So that's something that to take a look at. For sure. He was a savage um on the other elbows and punches but yeah that one was very very highly questionable so um michael chandler did some media he was there he's kind of like a guest fighter obviously he was part of team chandler he is chandler reporters were asking him dude (laughs) how much longer can we wait you know and obviously he's just as sick of waiting for it as he is hearing about it and being asked about it but it's news because sometimes you hear McGregor say it's happening, baby, December. Then McGregor, then McGregor will say it's not happening in December. Where's mm-hmm. Bob Bennett? He needs to help me out. Um, what do you think goes at this point? That's I that mean, that comment screamed of desperation. Where's you Bob think Bennett? Happen? No, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, oh wait, you mean like past December? Like, yeah, if, like it will happen at all? Yeah. I I don't think so. I think Mike, well, I could see maybe the UFC saying, hey, man, here's some money for, for hanging on this long. If that happens, then, yeah, I could see Michael Chandler waiting around. But I don't see him. I mean, do you guys follow Michael Chandler on social? Like, the dude seems like he's fighting tomorrow, right? Every day he's doing some kind of crazy obstacle course. Or I don't know what the fuck he's training for, man. But he's training for something. And I don't know that you want to do that to your body and not have some sort of payoff. So I think if the UFC gives him some cash for waiting around, I think the fight happens. But if they don't, he's got to move on. He's got to make money for his family. Says he wants to still get one more crack at the title. And McGregor's the way there. But with no McGregor, he's waited long enough. He fought last November, and now we're in August and just doesn't even know when he's fighting again. Even if we were to say, okay, they decided he's fighting in February, at least he would know. It might be over a year, but at least he would know. Right now, we're at the 10-month mark, and he doesn't know. Or Mm nine-month mark, and he just doesn't even know. And we know it's not December, so now we're looking at January. And January last year, for example, was in Rio de Janeiro, so that's probably going to be an international date. February was in Australia. That could be an international date. March has been very consistent in Las Vegas. First week of March. They like to get in early because the second week and mid-March is all about March Madness. And though Vegas doesn't host it, although they do have a Final Four coming up, they have a lot of conference tournaments or whatever at T-Mobile. So therefore, they got to get the UFC in there early. But March has been very consistent. Now, this year, they also went to March in London. So, again, three international events. Now, I'm not saying you can't do McGregor there, but I think they like to do McGregor in either Vegas or New York. Um, they had done New York in January. But regardless, it looks like what the sticking point here is going to be the six months. Mm-hmm. And today's August 21st. So, September, October, November, December. That's four. January, February. He's up to February 21st. Unless he went in today, he can't fight till February 21st. And by then, usually the UFC does their February card, but he has about 10 days to get in before March in Vegas. But you gotta piss in a fucking cup. Yeah, dude. Like, enough's enough already. Get that process going. Yeah, I mean, he's gotta do it anyway. Let's just say it was the two. Let's just say it was the two. I'd say, okay, go. we'll get one of the two over with now. You know, like, what are you waiting for? When did you think the two were, were, were gonna be? Like, night of? I mean, come on. And he acts so confused. Dana asks so confused. I mean, they, every time they ask Dana, they're like, we're sorting it out. I wish somebody would go sort what out. Like, what, what, what is it? What's left? You got arenas all over the world. You, the opponent is ready to rock and roll. So are you guys. What is what you know, Usada has said? This is what we do. Dana White, you said I defer to Usada. 
So what is it? I mean, at least address and just say that Connor doesn't seem to want to jump back in the pool, and that's the holdup. Box into into a corner. I mean, Connor's not shy about boxing people in the corner. He's saying they're trying to take my livelihood. You know what livelihood? I mean, you're a rich fuck for one, but two, rules is rules. Do you know what uh, is incredible about this whole topic that nobody even really touches on too much? Okay, let's say today he says, I'm back in the USADA pool. Hooray! Guess what? He's still got to fucking pass the test. What yeah. if he doesn't pass the test? That's happened before. I wonder right? if he's How got, long... my... I bet you he does his own private testing because he obviously he's got money. He can do that. Mm-hmm. He can hire someone to go, give me USADA testing. I bet you there's a metabolite or whatever it's called, nanogram, something's still popping up that he can't get rid of. And I'm not saying he's cheating at this moment, but he is pretty still jacked as can be. So, but let's just say, I mean, obviously, if he were to take a week off and say, okay, I'm off, I'm off the juice or whatever, you know, you got to taper off and some of this stuff has to, you know, has to. But if not, then tell us the ankle's not ready. Tell us you're retired. Tell us something. But it's on you. It, it can't be more on anyone than on Conor McGregor taking a test. Yeah, man. This is nuts that we're even still on this. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was some big news. And just doing a quick scroll here to make sure I don't miss anything because we kind of covered UFC 292. Oh, by the way, you know Jessica Andrade is going to fight for the fifth time? Dude, I'm kind of against this. Um, I think what she's done has been absolutely uh, incredible. But at this point, man, like, I get it. You're just trying to stack paychecks, but you got to take some time off. And the UFC, I think, needs bodies, and they're taking advantage of a fighter that says, I either need money or just would like to fight. But I, I think they're getting the most out of Jessica Andrade, and they're just seeing her probably, you know, the expiration date on her mm-hmm. being a title challenger is gone. I don't want to say damaged goods, because then it starts to sound too harsh. What I'm trying to say is she's just not at title con- title uh, challenger, title contender mark anymore. So now she's just that gatekeeper. She's, she's lost like three Neil in a Magny. row, and they're all stoppages. She's like Neil Magny. Hey, Ian Machado, Gary, you want to prove you're real? Get past Neil Magny. Hey, so and so, you want to get past? You get past Andrade, we'll take you seriously. And then Mackenzie Dern, by the way, doesn't have to do that. She's the she's the opponent, by the way. I'm just kind of saying how, you know, I don't know. Weidman's saying he's not done. He says he'll be back better than ever. I mean, that's kind of a quote that I don't like hearing too often especially when someone's 39. I know you're supposed to be positive, but better than ever. So you're going to be better than the Weidman that beat Anderson, defended against Anderson, defended against Leoto. That, you're going to be better than that guy. You might be smarter and wiser, but whatever. I I wish you the best. He's a nice guy, Uh, Chris Weidman is. Um, Dana White says he wanted him to retire. He couldn't have been more blunt about that. Yeah. Um. Israel Adesanya was agreeing with us. He says O'Malley and Sterling could have gone a bit longer, but it would have been bad. And you know what? That's fair. We're not saying Sterling comes back from that, but what we are saying is fighters have come back from that. Frankie Edgar's the ultimate example. I always lean on that one. He got knocked down, I think, four times by Gray Maynard. It was a 10-8, and honestly, if you would have told me I gave it a 10-7, even though I've often said a 10-7 basically is somebody got put into a coma mm-hmm. you know what that's bring, the one you almost give the 10 7 to and guess who came back and got a draw and hung on to his title frankie edgar so yeah. anything is definitely possible barry and congo had similar situations where one guy was getting absolutely thumped um so you just never know um max holloway throw him in the group of fighters that is saying the government failed the people of Lahaina. Yes, very emotional. Him, Brad Tavares, Kendall Grove. We talked to Kendall Grove. They've all said the same thing. I just want to chime in on this topic. I know President Biden's going to be there today. It is almost impossible to, when there is a tragedy like that, to mobilize that fast. And I know FEMA and Red Cross were on the ground probably with about 48, 72 hours. But to all of a sudden just 
I imagine, I don't know, be out there writing checks and doing crazy stuff. It, I don't think that's possible. And I come from the insurance world. I worked in title insurance and I worked in an insurance company, State Farm, that did fire and auto and life and health and this and that. But I've seen a lot of the catastrophes. I know that we had cat teams back in the way, back in the day. It is not easy to just, like I say, mobile. You have these teams ready to go most of the time. That's what some people's jobs are to do. But to get out there, set up, assess, figure out what's what, and then start being fair with everyone, impossible. Now, my heart is broken to those that say, I left my kid at home, and when I came back, him and the dog were dead. Burned to a crib. I mean, that breaks my heart to even say that, which yeah. is stuff that we heard happened. But um, what I what I can agree with is why didn't the sirens go off, the ones that actually were used recently in case of a, of a hurricane or a tsunami or whatever. I don't think they imagined fires was a possibility like they were. So, yeah, you could ring the bell on something like that, no pun intended. Um, the government does what it can. It's it's could Biden have been this sooner? Yeah, I agree with that, you know. Um, but the president's agenda is a busy one as well. I think he just hosted the leaders of Korea and 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 uh Japan. And I'm not saying that's more important than being there for another state, but you know, mm -hmm. that state has the governor and other politicians and other people, but Anyway, I, I, I just want to say I feel terrible for the people of Hawaii. I hope they rebuild. They don't get taken advantage of for sure. I think the one thing you can count on from this government, though, is now that they are on the scene, I think they're going to really do a lot to assist. It just takes time, unfortunately. I know, she goes, I know people that got water damage in their houses, and it took one fucking year. All right? Picture like a water heater goes and just... And getting it all together and getting it the way you wanted and getting three proposals or three estimates or whatever, and then getting it done the way you want or whatever, six months to a year. Now, imagine if you're one of thousands and this happens. That's just one person that had an isolated incident. But imagine mm -hmm. if you're one of thousands, it just takes a while, folks. Yeah, it's just wait. I can't even imagine, like, have you ever been without an AC for a day or something like your yeah. internet like there's just so much life is so different now you know i don't know and i love the usa and trust me man the usa really has our back not to just go crazy on this but i could probably name 50 countries off the top of my head where you would be 100 times more fucked than you are now in a situation like that with whatever we're the resources and the money that we're going to give to help out, um, you know, hopefully make things as right as possible. We can't bring life back. All right. But hopefully make things as right as possible, man. There's a lot of countries that you would just kind of be, get a shoulder shrug. Like it is what it is. That's life, you know, or something like that. Um, not us. So, hang in there my hawaiian brothers and sisters is all i can say mm -hmm. maybe this is a good time to bow out I, a lot of the news was covered and if not we'll come in and clean things up on thursday um i know kaikara france is out of ufc 293 holloway and korean zombie go this weekend out in singapore uh congrats to kurt holobov i didn't stress it enough him and katona are the latest ultimate fighter winners Congrats to Sean O'Malley, who's the second Dana White Contender Series winner. And uh, one last thing, a quick shout-out to the PFL. Their event is on Wednesday, folks, not a Friday or a Saturday. It is Wednesday. So we got Dana White Contender Series tomorrow. We got PFL. Let me get this right. Where the fuck did it go? All right, we got PFL on the 23rd, which is tomorrow, uh, Wednesday. Dana White Contender Series tomorrow. And then we got uh, the UFC Fight Night out in Singapore on Saturday. And the Singapore card, by the way, is on ESPN Plus. And the start time, because they're out in Singapore, 8 a.m. Eastern for the main card on Saturday. That's 5 a.m. For those on the West Coast, and the uh, prelims start at 
5 a.m. Again on Saturday, 2 a.m. for the West Coast. Crazy, but yeah. decent fights. Tyler Santos and Aaron Blanchfield. Ooh, those like are some heavy one. hitters. At uh, one four, uh, 125, Alex Caceres versus Giga Chikazzi at 145. Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann. Uh, you have to like heavyweight division. Anyway, folks, enjoy your Monday. Thanks for tuning in, as always. And we'll see you all on Thursday. Go out and be a champion. Take care.